When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Not bad. How about yourself? I am all right. Um... Uh, as people can tell, uh, you may have been a little bit under the weather for the past two shows. <laughs> uh, uh, my rasp has improved. It's 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 not quite at the level of um, Bonnie Tyler, Kim Carnes. More of uh, where would we put this in the pop canon of raspy how singers? About, how about Taylor Dane? Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, next week, maybe we can hit someone sort of from the new millennium. What about, uh, yeah, no, no, all my references are old because the next one I was thinking of was um, uh, Alana Tyler. Is that her name from um, Alana Miles. Black Velvet? Alana Miles. Alana Miles. Alana Miles. <laughs> there you go. Next reference. Oh, boy. We're aged. Okay. Um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how the Billboard charts are brought to you by Taylor Swift this week. <laughs> As the megastar absolutely dominates both the Billboard 200 Albums chart and the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart. Her Midnight's album scores the biggest week for any album in nearly seven years and, of course, debuts at number one on the chart, while she holds down the entire top ten songs on the Hot 100 chart, the first time any act has ever done that, led by Antihero at number one. Also on the show, Rihanna is back. Yay! The pop superstar returned last week with Lift Me Up from the soundtrack of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We'll talk about the new ballad and what it could mean for her upcoming Super Bowl halftime show and any maybe music beyond that, so stick around. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com podcasts. Okay, let's do the chart chat, and it's effectively an all Taylor Swift edition of the chart chat. That's how I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Swifty. Um, okay, well, first up, uh, let's start with the Billboard 200 Albums chart. As Swift's new studio album, Midnight's, debuts at number one with 1.578 million equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending October 27th, of course, according to Luminate. 
It is her 11th number one album. Uh, there are so many things to say about this album's debut, as well as all of the songs that came from it that are debuting on the charts. I mean, just that number alone, Keith, 1.578 million. That's just, as you said, biggest in seven years. We have not seen that number or anything close to it in a long time. No, no, we haven't. <laughs> it's it is spectacular. It is astounding. It is astonishing. It is enormous. Yes. It's all of those things. Can't overstate it. Yeah, you, you just can't. Um, as much as I have gotten used to seeing these numbers for Taylor um, in the past week, as I've been writing about this, when I first saw the initial numbers from the album's first day, uh, so that was the Saturday uh, after mm -hmm. it was released on Friday, so on the 22nd, I assumed the numbers were going to be big. But when I saw just how big they were initially, I was caught off guard. Like, yeah, I just wasn't I guess because part of me thought like, hmm, I don't know, Adele was big, but she wasn't, you know, you know, a million plus. And mm -hmm. even though I knew Taylor had all these things in play to kind of help motivate streams and sales, you know, the many different things to collect and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I still thought, ah, you know, I mean, maybe that won't really move the needle. Well, it all moved the needle. So the needle got moved. The needle got moved. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go over some of the astounding chart statistics and factoids that I have. Yes. Um, this is yes. just a mere sampling. If you want the full buffet, go to billboard.com slash chart dash beat. And I'm sure by the time you go there, there will be at least seven different stories about Taylor Swift. So first, with an 11th number one album on the Billboard 200, Swift ties Barbra Streisand for the most number one albums among women. Midnight's has the biggest week for any album since Adele's 25 debuted with 3.482 million back in December of 2015. That number seems even crazier now, but yes. Yeah, okay. that, that number will probably never, ever happen again, but who knows? Probably Anything not. is possible. Yeah. Um, Midnight's sold... 1.140 million copies in traditional album sales. So just to back uh, back up a little bit, when we talk about equivalent album units, that number that I mentioned earlier, the 1.578 million, that is a number that includes traditional album sales, streaming equivalent album units, where we take uh, the number of streams generated by the songs on an album and divided by a number to kind of weigh it down to what we consider an album unit. And then mm -hmm. also track equivalent album units. We take, we take the number of tracks sold in an album divided by 10, and that equals one album unit, one TEA unit. Very complicated. But the point is, of that 1.5 million number, 1.140 million were in traditional album sales, plain old CDs, vinyl albums, cassettes, and digital albums like you'd buy on iTunes. Yeah, and, and we always talk about moving units versus selling. She sold a million. We can just say yes. she sold a million. Yes, there, there are many people, uh, probably for just uh, ease and convenience, there are many people, especially on social media, that talk about how you know, whenever something is at number one on the Billboard 200, they will say, oh, it sold this many units. I'm like, no, yeah. um, I my brain hasn't done that that bit of aerobics to kind of get to that point, because there are free streams that are factored into 
you know, the, the Billboard 200 each week. Like right. you can go listen to something for free on YouTube or Spotify, and that activity counts in the Billboard 200. So uh, also, you didn't sell that unit of streaming in any way. I'm falling into a rabbit hole. We're stopping. The point is. But guess what? Taylor sold a million thanks. albums. Thank you. 1.140 <laughs> million copies sold. That is the biggest single sales week for an album since Swift's own reputation came out when it sold 1.216 million in 2017. Midnight's is the first album to sell a million copies or more since in, in a single week since Reputation in 2017. Yeah, and and if you read Keith's article kind of looking at Taylor Swift's last, last five years of, of album releases, Reputation wasn't even on streaming when it came out. So it was like the only way you could get it was through like a lot of was through traditional album sales a lot of the time. Right. So that was a different a different era. And she still sold more than a million copies of this album. Uh, Midnight's is the 22nd album in the modern era, meaning since Luminate began tracking music sales in 1991. It's the 22nd album to sell at least a million copies in a single week. Um, there have actually been 24 instances of million plus sales weeks. Um, and the reason why there's 22 albums and 24 instances is because three of those weeks were all generated by the same album. Adele's 25 sold at least right. a million in three separate weeks. Three times over. Um, also, kind of shockingly, five of those 22 albums are by Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah. And... No artist has had no artist except for Taylor has had three or more million selling albums in a single week. Um, you'd have to go to Backstreet Boys, NSYNC and Eminem. Those are the only other acts with two albums that hmm. did a million plus in a single week. So that's that's just a few things. Here's a few more. Midnight's collected 20 songs, so that's the 13 standard tracks plus the seven tracks on the deluxe edition, had 549.26 million on-demand official streams in its first week in the U.S. That is the third largest streaming week of any album ever, mm -hmm. the biggest for any album by a woman, and the biggest for any non-R&B hip-hop album because the numbers one and two biggest streaming weeks belong to albums from Drake. Uh, Scorpion has the most with 745.92 million in its first week. And then Certified Loverboy has the second most with 743.67 million. Can I make a quick uh, non-Midnight's point? Yeah. Drake and 21 Savage were supposed to put out a joint album this past Friday. That's right. Drake posted on Instagram that his uh, longtime producer, 40, had come down with COVID while he was mixing and mastering the album. So it's coming out this Friday instead, the 4th, November 4th. Do we believe that? No. <laughs> I think I'm allowed to say that. Keith, you can go over there and plead the fifth. But I think the combination of second week Taylor and as we'll talk about later in the show, new Rihanna, I think scared off Drake from trying to wade into that mess because I feel like the albums chart and Hot 100 are pretty well spoken for next week. Now, Drake and 21 Savage could have thrown a wrench into that. Drake, like historically, 
debuts at number one on the Hot 100 when he puts something out. Debuts at number one when he puts something out on the Billboard 200. But I think this week might have terrified him a little bit. With good reason. That's all I have to say. Enough to... (laughs) Enough to fib about someone having COVID? That's the thing. I don't... I think 40 had COVID. Okay. I just don't know that that actually... And, and maybe the album was already... Like, maybe they were pushing it uh, to release it. And maybe they just wanted to get out of that deadline, period. Not just about the charts. Not just about that. I, I 100% think 40 had COVID. I don't think you make up a COVID story. But I, I wonder if they placed, uh, you know, the blame on on that um, instead of just saying, we're just going to step aside and we'll be, you know, meet us in a week. I mean, I don't know. T- when when Taylor moved the release of Red Taylor's version, she never said For why. For Adele's 30. She ne- Taylor, yeah, she, she, Taylor, she quietly moved Yeah, it. Taylor never yes. said it was because she was getting out of the way of Adele, but that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Now, yeah. is Drake trying to get out of the way of Taylor's second week? We don't know. We don't know. But. But. And maybe and also maybe a slightly gentlemanly thing. She's obviously long time friends and collaborators with Rihanna. And that song didn't get announced officially until Tuesday, Wednesday last week. You think Drake and Um, Rihanna don't talk? Well, I mean, he they might not talk about release weeks, you know, like they might not talk about on a work work. <laughs> I just said work. <laughs> they had a number one song called work um, anyway. But um, I, I don't I, I feel like I feel like it was too much going on this week. And, and he moved aside personally. Okay. But again, we don't have any inside information to that point. I'm just speculating. Yeah. No, it's fun to speculate. Yeah. Because, I mean... <laughs> well, we're talking about the biggest artists in the world, too. We're talking about Drake, Rihanna, Taylor. If you're talking about, you know, a Mount Rushmore of pop in the last 10, 15 years, that's, those three are on it. Yeah. So all of them colliding at once with music is, um, is a lot. It is. Uh, well, speaking of uh, songs like Work Going to Number One on the Hot 100 and, and Rihanna's <laughs> new track, let's move on to the Hot 100. Yes. Um, so all 20 of the tracks from Midnight's, uh, we're still talking about Taylor, um, are on the Hot 100 this week. They all debut on the Hot 100, and she has the entire top 10. That And that's, we just to s- clarify, all 20, meaning Midnight's and the 3 a.m. edition yes. that came out uh, three hours later, sort of EP style. Yes. Well, I mean, she put out a deluxe edition of the album that had all 20 songs on it. Right, right, right. She didn't put out a separate seven-song album. You're right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Though a lot of people clearly, because we could tell by the track sales, a lot of people clearly had bought the original standard 13-song album and then went and just cherry-picked the seven additional tracks and bought those all apart. Right, right. Instead of buying the whole full album again, because it would have been more costly to do that. So, uh, Antihero... The album's uh, first single and first video debuts at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And uh, like I said, she has the entire top 10. No artist has ever done that. And this is also the third time that the entire top five has been one artist. So the Beatles did it first in 1964, then Drake, then Taylor. I pointed out to to Gary that it might be Gary Trust, who manages the Hot 100. I pointed out to Gary that it might be beneficial if we had a story on Billboard.com that explains, you know, why is it that no one ever had the entire top 10 until 2022? You know, why 
why was this never possible? Because we've had obviously enormous superstars in the past with tons and tons of hit songs. Why did this never happen in the past? Um, because I think the average person wouldn't know. I mean, the 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 short answer, because I'm sure there's got to be people listening that are wondering, like, yeah, why did Taylor do it now? Like, why did no one else do it? The sort of most abbreviated version of this is for a very long time, the Billboard Hot 100 only allowed songs on it that were commercially available as physical singles. So from 1958, when the chart started up through 1998, the end of 1998, you had to have released a vinyl single or a cassette single or a CD single or a physical tangible single that you would go to a store and purchase. That is the only way to get onto the chart. Lots of songs were never released as singles. And, you know, oftentimes if you were a, a musician or an artist, um, signed to a major record label, you usually wouldn't have more than one or two or three singles in the market at any one time. And most likely, some of those singles would eventually sell out and you know move on and you would move on to the next thing that you're promoting, blah, blah, blah. Um, after 1998, we allowed uh, songs that were not physically available to chart. They were, we considered those airplay only at the time because the only way you could really listen to them was on the radio. This is before streaming and before digital. And eventually, we just allowed anything that was available on digital retail, on streamers, whatever. Um, so as you go farther and farther into the future, more and more songs by any one artist can be on the chart at one time, especially if you drop a really popular album on digital retail or streaming services. In theory, all of them could show up at the same time in the chart, just like Taylor did. Um, so the Beatles had a unique set of circumstances that enabled them to have the entire top five. In 1964, the Beatles, they were breaking in America. But before they kind of really broke America, they had basically licensing deals for a couple of their songs with kind of small record labels in America before they properly signed their Capitol Records deal. So in that top five, there's a couple songs that are on random labels that are not Capitol. And then I think two or three of them are on Capitol Records. So they wouldn't have been able to have had the entire top five had they not had songs on these other random records. And, you know, had they been on maybe one just record label at the time, you know, they wouldn't have necessarily had the entire top five. But it does show that there was a, uh, you know, fervent um, fan base that wanted to go purchase anything that had the Beatles on it, much in the same way where, you know, today on streaming services, you know, you can have someone like Taylor Swift or Drake or whoever it is drop an album and everyone rushes to Apple or Spotify or whatever streaming services they use and play all those songs because they want to hear all of them much in the same way where had the Beatles had 20 different singles in the marketplace in 1964, they maybe they would have had the entire top 20. I don't know. Yeah. And that, that was the other point I was going to make beyond the Beatles was that um, being able to see the popularity of individual tracks on an album because of streaming and because of digital sales is also a whole new frontier. Like, uh, you know, we brought up Drake's Honestly Nevermind. You know, Jimmy Cook's debuted at number one on the Hot 100. That wasn't something that Drake like pushed as a single, but that was clearly the one that resonated with the most fans and became the number one. So it's a very kind of cool, democratic way of doing things that isn't just about who chooses you know, the, what the artist chooses as the lead single, you know? Yeah, I mean, 
there also is something to be said. I mean, well, there's a couple things here. One, Jimmy Cooks was the track with 21 Savage. That was a very overtly rap track. Yeah. Which in an album that On a was a project like a dancey left of center house album. Mm. That was clearly what Drake fans resonated with. And they're like, yeah, we're going to play this one. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> um, and that is also the track for the video. They just dropped an official music video for that. That and is that how is sort they of announced effectively, the joint album. Yes. Right. The joint album with 21 Savage. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like their, though it's nice when fans can help drive kind of like, oh, this is going to be the song that is going to be kind of earmarked as the thing that we work officially as a single or make a video for. I think that's great sometimes, but I also think it's nice when someone like Taylor Swift says, I want Antihero to be the lead single. It's the one I'm going to make a video for first. I'm convinced whether she would have chosen it or not, it would have been the one that, uh, you know. Because it's the first song on the album? Well, it's also just like, oh, it's not the first song on the album, but it's, oh, it's, not, it's sorry. not Lavender Hazes, but it's also just like already become a meme. I mean, everybody and their mom is using it on TikTok as like, I'm the problem, <laughs> like as a meme. Right. And it's and so it's like, I think Taylor being Taylor knew that that was going to be the one that spread far and wide um, for a multitude of reasons. And so, yeah, obviously it was an effective lead single. Well, uh, for the full rundown of everything, <laughs> all <laughs> that, <laughs> all that, um, go to billboard.com slash charts, click on hot 100, click on billboard 200. You can see all that there. And then of course, go to billboard.com slash chart dash beat, read all the stories about all this stuff. And Katie's raising her hand. I've got a question, Keith. Oh yeah. What happened to that lovely number one from last week? Sam Smith and Kim Pentress's unholy. Where did that just disappear to? Oh, it's number 11. <laughs> okay, there, there we go. It's funny, Man, like, I was, I, I was I was looking, I was going, I was looking down the Hot 100 and um, taking, I was counting everything that wasn't named Taylor Swift. Yeah. Because I wanted to see, I'm like, oh, would anyone have made the top 10 this week for the first time? It looks like that um, friend of the podcast, Baby Rexa, uh, and David Guetta would have been top 10 this week had it not been for Taylor Swift. That's painful, Keith. I don't know if you but, needed to tell our friend BB that. <laughs> well, anyone anyone can it look at the chart and kind week. of it could happen. It next could happen week. next week. In theory, all those Taylor songs should subside. I'm interested to see what happens with Unholy too, because uh, it's become a bit of a Halloween song. Uh, we're recording oh, this yeah. on Monday, Halloween, and it was on Spotify's Halloween party playlist that they curated. Um, and it was on SNL this weekend, which was like the Halloween episode. I feel like. Unholy, like, might have had a big Halloween boost, so I, we'll see where it ends up next week. I don't see Unholy having, like, a long life through the Christmas season. <laughs> Once the Mariahs and the, uh, and the Brenda Lees start scooting into the top ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't have, like, a sort of a festive holiday. It does have a holiday. Kind it's of Halloween. Vibe to the it. holiday is Halloween, not Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of next week's charts, I'm very interested to see where this uh, song we're going to talk about is going to end up uh, because Rihanna made her much awaited return to music on Friday with Lift Me Up from the soundtrack of the upcoming Marvel sequel, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The arrival of the song was preceded by a series of cryptic billboards around New York and a teaser post on social media that included the forthcoming movie title Wakanda Forever on screen before highlighting that 
first R in the word forever. The R has really become Rihanna's calling card. I love that, like, just the letter R and people know it's Rihanna. Um, But uh, Lift Me Up was written as a tribute to late Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman, who died from colon cancer in 2020 at age 43. Um, Nigerian singer Thames. Oscar-winning composer Ludwig Göransson, Rihanna herself, and Black Panther director Ryan Coogler all have writing credits on this track. So first of all, let's take a short listen to the song. Alright, so Keith, my first talking point here is... What do we think about this, you know, being Rihanna's first solo song since she released her album Anti back in 2016? Like, what do we think about this as a solo reintroduction? Do you have thoughts? Oh, yeah. Okay. what are Um, are those thoughts? Those thoughts are, I think you have to think of the song within the context of the film. And it is a song that was written for a movie. Yeah. And what the song's explicit purpose is within the film. And we don't know exactly where it is in the movie, but if it's written as a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, I'm guessing that there's probably an emotional scene in this film that the song accompanies. And therefore, uh, its lullaby aspect, I think, is probably warranted. And it is probably doing exactly what the song is supposed to do within the context of the film. So anyone that was hoping for, like... Rihanna dance floor banger like that's not what this is supposed to be no and you know having said uh all that that makes me think of um see you again which Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa released from uh the Fast and the Furious franchise as a tribute to um Paul why am I forgetting Paul's last name Walker. Paul Walker, who passed away also in the midst of this film franchise. And it's those those kinds of songs resonate with fans. Obviously, that was like a multi-week number one song. So because this is a ballad doesn't necessarily mean it it's not gonna do its thing on the charts or whatever. But I think that people are are embracing this and realizing that it is it's supposed to be a ballad, a mournful song. I mean, we're talking about there's like harps in it. It's very emotional. Um, It's not going to be like the Rihanna return that maybe fans expect at like Super Bowl halftime. But it is like a wonderful. I think it's a wonderful song that's being warmly received. Um, I have to say the thing that stuck out to me the most listening to it was the tone and quality of her voice. Like, her voice is so powerful right off the bat. The first note she sings in the song, it's like it just cuts through. And she's one of those artists that I feel like when she first came out, I, I don't know that people thought of her as being like this, you know, vocal superstar. She wasn't like, you know, a Christina or a Mariah or something like That's that. Fair. But That's fair. I think hearing this song, you recognize the like special tonal quality that she brings that that makes her so notable you know it's rihanna right away and the fact that she can you know move um from a ballad to a dance floor banger to all these different things with her voice and be that kind of chameleon pop star she is like a a singular artist and you can hear it right away in her vocal on this song so if i'm a rihanna fan i'm thrilled just hearing this vocal because i think it's really strong and really good Yeah. yeah um 
And I guess I, I don't know the answer to this. I went and looked up to see if we have a track list yet for the Wakanda Forever soundtrack. Could not find that. Um, so I guess the next question is, you know, similar to like uh, Kendrick on the original Black Panther soundtrack. Are we going to get more Rihanna songs maybe from the Wakanda Forever ha- soundtrack? Do we know? Ha- has anyone from the production commented on the contents of the Wakanda Forever soundtrack album? Is it going to be a Rihanna curated thing? I have we not. Don't know. I've not heard that Rihanna is going to fulfill that kind of Kendrick role where she was like, you know, EPing this or something. And actually, right. okay. if anything, Thames is, is actually on multiple songs already from Black Panther. So she might be from, I should say, from Wakanda Forever. She might be more the like, you know. Um, thread, the common thread among many songs, which makes sense. Hmm. She's a Nigerian artist and these movies are in a fictional um, African country. So I like the idea that they, you know, led with Thames on this. But um, I just wonder if maybe, you know, if Rihanna was involved in this project, maybe she's involved in something more. I'm sort of fingers crossed for that. One more thing. When the Lift Me Up cover art came out, I'm not sure if you saw this, Keith, but a lot of fans were pointing out that the kind of simple photo of Rihanna's face and her hair sort of wavy and um, uh, worn down, that she looked a little, I should say, worn down sounds not as not what I'm trying to say. Literally, worn, literally down. Her hair is down. <laughs> it's not worn down. Um, her worn out hair. Right. I'm like, what do they just say about the beautiful Rihanna? Um it looked a lot like her first album cover that she put out. And so a lot of fans are kind of drawing these connections to maybe Rihanna's having a little bit of a return to the early days. The video for Lift Me Up is also just Rihanna on a beach, which kind of looks like early Rihanna music videos. And and fans are sort of wondering if she's hinting at anything of like a return to like her island roots pop sort of thing. But it's kind of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch because, as you said, this is a this is a Black Panther song. This is not a Rihanna song. So she probably wasn't like, you know, controlling the narrative to, like, tell a story about her upcoming music. Right. No. Yeah. No, it's like I'm I'm I would think you're going you're, you're like, this is not about me. This is about the film. This is about Chadwick. the message of the song. Yeah. It's about Chadwick. Yeah. And I'm not trying to distract from that. Let's make it a very simple stripped down. Um, it's, it's, you know, a, a moment where it's not about uber glam yep. Rihanna and like a high gloss video that has like, you know, choreo or something. Right. Um, I mean, that all would have been fine, but it's not appropriate for this particular song. Yes. <laughs> um, so but it, it is fun to see fans speculate because fans, you know, would love music from Rihanna in any capacity. Yeah. That, and so the next the next question is, um, you know, will we hear this song at the Super Bowl halftime? Um... I feel like it's a probably not. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. What if it turns in? What if it turns into to some huge number one multi week moment that gets nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song? Yeah, all of a sudden, and, then, and the timing of all that would be the same. The same time. Like, why wouldn't you want to perform it on the Super Bowl, even if it's only like twenty seconds? Yeah, like you know? Lady Gaga would have done shallow if her Super Bowl were before that, for sure. Lady Gaga did did um oh what a million was the name reasons. Of that? Million Reasons, yeah. which is a ballad. I mean, it's more of a kind of a has a it's a little bit more up tempo because that it has was a big her piano. Current, that was her current yeah. um, song on the charts. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but, you know, I mean, we also don't know what will happen between now and January. Maybe Rihanna drops a big surprise album or something. Well, there's the final question, Keith. Will we get an album or a non-soundtrack song, perhaps, from Rihanna before February? I don't know. What do you think, Katie? I hope so. I kind of feel like it could be a um, a Beyonce situation. Not when Beyonce headlined, but when she showed up for the Coldplay halftime. And And did formation. She did formation. And that... I don't know that people recognize that that song came out like less than two days before she performed it at the Super Bowl. And and it like she created a cultural moment on the spot. It was just like it all happened yeah. at once. And typically people think, oh, you only do the hits, you know, at Super Bowl. But she actually like she just willed that into becoming a thing by like making by dropping it when she did and by performing it right away on the Super Bowl. So Rihanna has that kind of power. She can create a cultural moment at the drop of a dime. Maybe she'll choose to do something like that. So draw. So, so like, like one perform, one perform something that maybe we haven't heard at all before on the Super Bowl. Exactly. Maybe Calvin I mean, Harris is involved. Who knows? <laughs> sure. Maybe Taylor Swift co-wrote it too. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Okay. This is all wishful thinking, but, um, uh, we are very excited for uh, Rihanna to be back in any way, shape or form. Uh, and, uh, I'm, but I am, crossing my fingers about maybe another taste of Rihanna from the Wakanda Forever soundtrack. And of course, we'll tell you all about it on the pop shop if it happens. And now it's time for the chart set of the week. Forty years ago, a single that would go on to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song topped the Hot 100 as Up Where We Belong from the film An Officer and a Gentleman by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warnes rose 5 to 1 on the Hot 100 dated November 6, 1982. The track would spend three weeks atop the list and mark the first number one for both Cocker and Warnes. Up Where We Belong was written by Jack Nietzsche, Buffy St. Marie, and Will Jennings, who all won the Oscar the following year for pinning the track. It was the only Oscar win for Nietzsche and St. Marie, but Jennings would later win a second Oscar for co-writing My Heart Will Go On from the film Titanic alongside James Horner. And of course, My Heart Will Go On, as recorded by Celine Dion, hit number one on the Hot 100. But back to Cocker and Warns. Cocker debuted on the Hot 100 in 1968 with with the song With a Little Help from My Friends, which would later serve as the theme song to the TV series The Wonder Years in the 1980s. This is me. Upper sorry, Weedle. this is me learning that that song was recorded in 1968 or released. I just always assumed that Joe Cocker put that out in the 80s, like when The Wonder Years came out. I mean, maybe there was like a re-recorded version or That's something, wild. but... I mean, it's it's the song that I mean, I think most people of a certain generation associate that song with the Wonder Years more than anything else. Um, Up Where We Belong was the only Hot 100 number one for Cocker, who died in 2014. As for Jennifer Warnes, she topped the Hot 100 a second time with another movie song in 1987. That year, she and Bill Medley took their duet from the film Dirty Dancing to number one for one week. I've had the time of my life. The track would also go on to win the Oscar for Best Original Song. Clearly, Warren's had a nice track record for number one hits from movies that later won an Oscar in the 1980s, considering her only two number ones were also both Oscar-winning songs. So there you have it. 40 years ago, Up Where We Belong hit number one on the Hot 100 on its way to an Academy Award win for Best Original Song. 
I did want to say that uh, as a huge Beatles fan, I have to say that uh, Joe Cocker's with a little help from my friends is like the one and only example I have of like a person improving on a Beatles song. Like, uh, Whoa. Yeah. I, I love I love the Beatles and I love Ringo. He sings that one originally. Um, but the Joe Cocker version to me is the best. So we should go out on that because we haven't heard it yet. I think we should. OK, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs> Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.